Badger fans, and welcome to another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. As always, Tyler Hunt and Matt Bells here covering everything Wisconsin athletics, and we've got a full show for you guys today. In this first half, we're going to, of course, discuss everything that's going on with the basketball program, both in the Minnesota game and then the off-the-court stuff, which is, was, has popped back up. And then the second half, we're going to have Owen back on, Owen Reese, who you guys are probably familiar with if you listen to the show in its heyday and, and when it's starting point, uh, he was the host of this with Jake for a long time. He came on to talk some Wisconsin offensive line stuff, gave us an overview of that group, and there was some some great insight in the back half of the show. So we'll get into that. But first, let's talk some basketball, and then we'll talk some everything else uh, along the way. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you doing, man? Good, good. Can't complain other than that uh, brutal Badgers loss. Last night at Minnesota, it was it was ugly by every stretch of the imagination, and it seemed like this team had had maybe turned a corner, both on the court and and off the court, with with things kind of finally you know seeming to settle. And of course, we'll get into that a little more later. But in specifics on the court, it was just plain ugly. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, outside of the first few minutes where the Badgers kind of came out quick shooting wise, they couldn't hit anything. I mean, it was just nothing was falling. They shot 22% in the second half, 6% from three point arc, which is just silly. Um, but it, nothing was falling. Greg Gard alluded to it in the post game talking about just really uh, the poor shooting and kind of the woes that have continued with this team shot shot 19 of 67 and I mean they they took extra shots over what Minnesota had because of some offensive rebounds and and they, it didn't matter they uh Minnesota was making their shots uh, especially in the first half they didn't shoot particularly well in the second half either but uh, the Badgers just weren't able to get anything going offensively most of that due to um poor shooting they just really weren't able to hit and because they were getting decent looks at times but it, it nothing was going yeah, nothing at all. I mean, 28% from the field is you're never going to win a basketball game doing that unless you play some pretty incredible defense. And Wisconsin, it wasn't great on the defensive end either, but it, it just it's just another case of this team seeming to have one side of the basketball in good shape and have the other side of the basketball struggling. And it just seems like every night in and night out that that one side isn't going to be there whether it be the offense or the defense and that's the I think that's what creates this ebb and flow in, in terms of team and record you know with with getting a big win against Michigan State and looking like a great team and then essentially looking like a completely different basketball team the next time out and I, I'm sure it's frustrating for fans but it's got to be frustrating for the players too. Yeah, for sure. And I, I agree that like there's got to be some frustration within that because they they just weren't able to take advantage of some opportunities. We saw even like they had fast break chances that could quickly de- turned into, hey, let's wait for uh, the the, the um, offensive player to get, or defender to get back down the court. It's just I, I just wasn't impressed with what they had done um, offensively. I also wasn't particularly impressed with the defensive effort uh, in the first half. I but this second half, they did a much better job. But, I mean, it was a damn lay- layup line in the first half. Um, 
you give up 45 points in the first half. Uh, I know Minnesota was on pace at one point for like over 100 um, because it was it just seemed like they were able to get in the lane. They were able to get easy floaters, easy buckets. And Wisconsin was just out of place and wasn't able to to really slide their feet and make the necessary adjustments that they needed to. So I, just an overall not great game for the Badgers. Winning on the road's hard. Um, but I, I expected this one to be a little bit better uh, from the Badgers to at least put that put up a fight. I just I just don't think uh, this was a great game, but I still like the Badgers' chance to to do basically the exact same thing and flip the script when Minnesota comes to town because Wisconsin has been playing so good at home. Yeah, they have, and that's that's kind of the biggest you know that's a, that's a trend in this conference overall. I mean, I was looking at scores last night. Purdue just blew the doors off of Iowa, you know, when they were at home, Iowa on the road. And it just seems like every game in this conference where you're not in your home building, you're you're in danger of, of losing a game. And that's kind of been the numbers to, to back it up. Obviously, it's been a big storyline all season, but it's it's got to be frustrating going going into a stadium knowing that you're, you're kind of already behind the eight ball just with the way it kind of shakes out in this 2020, you know, college basketball season. But Thankfully for the Badgers, they picked up that Michigan State win. I think if you lost that one and then compounded it with a loss at Minnesota, you would be really in some dangerous territory. But they they picked up that win against the Spartans, and now it's just a matter of of turning that ship once again and and hopefully picking up a a win against Ohio State this weekend. Yeah, I think the Badgers really need to hold serve at home and make sure to win these games. They've got Ohio State, Purdue, Rutgers, Minnesota, and Northwestern all at home, all winnable games, games that they should win at home. And then if they can make sure to win that game at Nebraska, I think they'll be in a good space um, for the tournament and having a good a good spot in the um, Big Ten tournament as well. So, But it, it, it is frustrating just because of the emotional roller coaster that's going on with this program and, and how they came out um, – so strong against Michigan State in that first half, you know, threw threw up completely the second half, but just kind of uh, coasted to a win. And then for this one, they just didn't really show up in a lot of ways and, and didn't put together a good game of basketball. Certainly did not, and it didn't help, you know, after the game when when some rumbling started to come out uh, and a further development in that Kobe King story. Uh, obviously, the unfortunate news of some some racial uh, not slurs, but but comments and things like that, which which helped kind of lead to Kobe King's departure. And obviously, there's still a lot of this that has to be unfolded. So we don't want to get too much into the specifics because Matt and I are not insider knowledge. We don't know what is going on in that situation. But it, it certainly doesn't help this this team at all, who who seemingly started to kind of move forward with the group that they had to to now have uh, another dark cloud kind of circling the program. Yeah, I mean, Eric Helen obviously leaving, um, resigning. He had been put on leave since Monday uh, amidst this uh, supposedly saying uh, a racial epitaph back when they were in Columbus. So it's, it's not a good look. Um, he was a strength and conditioning coach that had done a lot of great things, you know, since being with the program in 2013. And he was with some really good teams in the pros uh, before that. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's a definitely not a great look. I think UW uh, applaud them for doing the right thing in this regard, that if he, you know, he had said something in, in front of athletes to, to make sure that that was uh put to rest and for him to go their separate ways. But, um, you know, I, I, it's come out that university said that it was not directed at Kobe King. 
um, which I, th I think is very important in this case and that it wasn't directed at anyone because that is a huge other layer to this um, and that uh, he, he kind of self-reported it and told told guard about it and that it was uh, amidst the story. So it, it's, it's not a great look, um, but it, in the end, the, the Badgers are going to continue to try to push through some of this turmoil because they've been doing it all year long. It just seems like it's been such a roller coaster ride for them, given, you know, the Howard Moore tragedy in his family. And, and then you have the Micah Potter and now Kobe King leaving. And now this is just like the hits keep coming. And, you know, it's the players themselves uh, have been, you know, boxers in this to try to, um, you know, spar, I should say, to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, and it's very unfortunate that, that things like that, have happened because you you think of Wisconsin programs of the past in all these situations it hasn't been a, a common thing and I know you know Wisconsin fans were were you know questioning and, and wondering what was going on and it just seems to be a situation that they've handled well and they've taken the appropriate steps because obviously there's no room for anything like that in any program in any sport across the country you know there's no spot to to use language anything like that obviously we don't know what was said but obviously inappropriate in that regard. So unfortunate, but hopefully this team can can again band together and and put something you know and, and focus their their energy on the basketball efforts because obviously Kobe King's health and and attitude is is very important to this basketball program. But this team still has to focus on on winning basketball games in the long run. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's definitely a tough tough thing because of everything that's going around. Just I mean, and that's kind of another thing where um, another result that could kind of tilt what happened, what we saw um, on the court yesterday when Wisconsin, like you said, got their um, butts handed to them by Minnesota. But they, they got a rebound quickly because they, they're back on the floor on Sunday at home. And uh, there's the at least it's during a time where it's going to be a noon game. So fans will be there because it's a weekend game. It'll be uh, a little extra juice to hopefully get this team back up feeling, feeling great. And then they have a nice week off before they have to head to Nebraska. So they've got time to kind of right the ship, trying to fix some of the craziness that's going on, but it's, it's not a good look from the outside of the program right now. And, and things have got to start changing um, in order to, to make sure things are going more smoothly. They absolutely do. It's just kind of been a series of unfortunate events for this uh, Wisconsin basketball program. And hopefully they can right the ship, like we've said, and, and take on a, a Ohio State team that's kind of struggling, too, on Sunday afternoon. Obviously, we'll preview that, recap that game after it happens, and then uh, we'll get into more stuff like that next week. Uh, one final thing we wanted to touch on was obviously National Signing Day. Most of our recruiting stuff was already done in the in the early signing period but the the final touches of the 2020 class were put on so matt what did you make of that uh that group and in that uh 2020 class you know i think it's a really good class we touched touched on it with alan true earlier this week too so if you haven't gone back and listened to that i thought he did a phenomenal job of breaking down kind of some of the finer nuances of recruiting as well but i think the big thing was uh, getting um, a really talented running back like Jalen Berger is huge, but then having the um, the walk-ons join as well. They've got some – a lot of these guys are turning down major scholarship opportunities um, across the country, whether they be MAC or Ivy or other opportunities to, to you know, don the Cardinal and White. So I think it's huge. Um, we, we're still waiting on – 
Daniel Wright, the quarterback, to officially sign and and Jeb Fry to officially sign out of Wanakee. But other than that, the Badgers have, have inked those guys. And what do you think about um, what they've got? Well, it's awesome. I mean, obviously, the big the big one yesterday was getting, obviously, Jalen Berger's name on that line. But, you know, like we've talked about in in the early signing day, this was this was a class that had a lot of, of valuable pieces, maybe not any superstars other than Berger. And that was obviously when we talked about it last time, Berger wasn't really in that discussion. He was still kicking around his options. So he's he's the big superstar. But there's a lot of good players in this class that are really going to fill some nice roles. And obviously, I know you can't pay it complete attention to recruiting rankings, but to to have a top 25 class for the first time in in program history to have the highest class, it's exciting because you've seen what Wisconsin do can do with essentially not lesser talent, but coming in a little behind the ball than where some of these athletes are that go to these blue blood programs. So to see where Wisconsin couples that raw talent, which is maybe better in this class with their development, I think is, is really going to be exciting to watch. So if you're a Badger fan, it's a good time for sure. Yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that wraps up our portion. Obviously, we've, we're a little shorter here, but that's because our interview in the back half, we get into a lot of different stuff and, and talk a lot about uh, Zach Vaughn and his trip down to the Senior Bowl with Owen. And then we uh, do an offensive line overview, talk about our strengths and weaknesses of the group. And then Owen gives his prediction on who he thinks will be the starting five next fall. So a lot of great stuff, a lot of great insight into Wisconsin basketball. So make sure to tune into that. We're going to go ahead and kick it over to a couple, couple quick ad reads, and then we'll jump into that interview. All right, Badger fans, we now welcome on Owen Reese. I'm sure most of you, if you've been listening for a long time, are familiar with this was a part of the Bucky's Fifth podcast when it was at its grassroots getting off the ground before Matt and I kind of took this thing over because uh, Owen went on to be a graduate assistant at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater working at the offensive line position. So to help talk about our you know offensive line position preview and overview from 2019, we're going to have Owen on to uh, give us wise insight uh, with everything that he uh, covers. He knows probably more about the offensive line and the power run game than than either of us and myself and Matt do. So we're happy to have you on. Owen, thanks for joining us. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's nice to be back. Absolutely. It's good to have you back on. Um, so before we get into the offensive line preview, I wanted to talk to you quick about the uh, Senior Bowl because I know you were down in Alabama covering that. Uh, how was that, and how did our fellow uh, Badger Zach Bond look? So he looked good. Uh a lot of buzz going around, to be honest. So like this year, I was kind of out of the loop, obviously with Whitewater stuff. I wasn't uh, quite as, as in depth with UW stuff as I uh, have been in the past. And uh, I, I knew that Vaughn had a good senior year, uh, but I was kind of like floored when I see all these like draft media stuff, talking to him as a first round guy. Uh, and that, that talk certainly continued down in Alabama as well. Uh, he looked fine. He looked the part. At like 240 pounds, and he kind of talked about this during the media availability that he was just kind of in an odd spot because like NFL edge rushers aren't 240 pounds, um, and they're typically these huge hulking 6'6", 270 pound guys. Or um, so he talked about that <clears throat> he was looking forward to uh, playing inside down there. That's where they had him. They had him in the uh, weak side inside linebacker position uh, with the Lions coaching staff and. Uh, he looked good. And you could tell that he was like learning a new position. He was kind of 
I don't want to say out of place, but just kind of like a step slow on stuff where you could see the process. You could see him starting to get it, but it just wasn't at the same speed as everyone else um, just due to that uh, lack of familiarity at the spot. But um, physically, movement-wise, athletically, uh, he looked good. Uh, when they, they didn't get a ton of one-on-one pass rush reps, but when he did, he was good. Uh, and uh, just kind of continued. I know they, they were just stressing how much they wanted to see him in one-on-one pass coverage responsibilities. So it uh, looked the part. He looked good. Uh, I think he probably just, I mean, talking to, to Zach and, and having done that for the last few years, I mean, he's going to, to impress teams. He's really well-spoken. He's very articulate, um, able to con- communicate well. So he's uh, be a good that way to be able to portray his, his knowledge of the game. Uh, and, and yeah, like I said, physically he was good, uh, a little out of position, but uh, he did mention Joe Schobert as someone that he thinks he can have a similar career arc to. Um, you know, Schobert plays inside linebacker for the Browns, uh, and that's something that he thinks is, though, that they're pretty similar and that he'd be able to do. So, um, I mean, overall, like, it wasn't so much a position for him to really shine and showcase what uh, his skill set is, but I think he did a good job and uh, obviously is continuing that that conversation of him being a potential uh, late first round or even an early day two pick. Um, kind of jumping off of that, Owen, you know, I, you talked a little bit about his position versatility and kind of what he's been doing. Um, you know, I think I saw that his height was listed at like six two, two, and then you said his weight was two forty down there. Um, do you do you see uh, him in terms of the NFL? Where where do you think he best? projects in your mind after what you saw and do you think that being down in mobile kind of helped him stock wise um stock up or do you think it kind of just kind of maintained um probably more along the maintain thing like i said just it wasn't a super uh it wasn't an environment catered to uh him being able to like shine i guess for lack of a better uh word there he's not he's, he's not a super huge dude um, you know, as you talked about, he was up from 235 to 240, which I think probably helps in the eyes of the NFL guys. But uh, the, the, I think probably the best thing I could see him doing is, uh, I, I certainly not comparing him to the player, but to the style when he came into the NFL. Uh, Von Miller was like a 3-4 outside linebacker, a similar sized guy, really, to Vaughn. And everyone's like, well, he's too small to play defensive end, and he's, um, you know, he's too small to be an edge rusher full time. But so what? When when Miller got started, he, uh, the Broncos still ran a, a 4-3, and he would play Sam on first and second down or the rundowns or whatever, um, and then they would bump him down and let him pass rush on obvious pass rushing situations. And I think that's something stylistically that Vaughn will probably have to do. I don't think many 3-4 teams are going to look at him as a starting outside linebacker, um, and certainly 4-3 teams aren't going to have him on, with his hand on the ground as a D lineman either. So uh, somewhere in that off-ball role, whether it's a – a Sam or a Will in a, a 4-3 scheme, um, probably Will kind of allow, allow him to use his uh, athleticism and keep him clean. Uh, and then if he's in a 3-4, he'll be uh, one of those two inside linebackers. And um, like I said, having the ability to be a, a, a rotational pass rusher um, certainly helps, um, That having that ability and that experience. Um, but it probably won't be his primary role um, in the NFL. I think they're going to value his athleticism and his versatility I think something, too, that uh, will go in his favor is that so a lot of times we talk about someone's like, yeah, well, they're they're versatile. They can play a lot of different positions or they can do a lot of different things. But that really only matters if you do them well, not just do them. Um, And I think that's something that what he's shown uh, with Jim Leonard's defense, giving him the ability or the, the opportunities to 
drop uh, drop into coverage, cover running backs out of the backfield one on one, do more than just like the um, like with the inside linebackers in Madison are basically just like underneath zone defenders. Like that's really their only ever their primary pass responsibility. Uh, it's just very very easy and kind of let them play and play fast. Uh, the outside guys have quite a bit more scope in their job as far as uh, obviously rushing the passer and setting the edge in the run game, but then also having both zone and man uh, pass responsibilities. So I think that that experience moving forward uh, will help him with that transition and, and give teams more of an idea of places that he could fit on their roster uh, with that skill set. Exciting stuff. Obviously, Zach Bond is, is looking to improve his stock, and it sounds like he had a good performance down in Alabama. And we'll have to get uh, Owen back on later on uh, to talk some more you know, NFL draft stuff with him and, and all the Badgers that are going to be participating and eventually getting into that. But let's get into the offensive line overview uh, for Wisconsin. Obviously, Wisconsin's bread and butter is essentially running the football with, with a strong line up front and some quality backs behind him. And really, I, I think this season was another strong season for the Badgers in, in terms of running the football. Numbers-wise, it, it was similar to what we've had in, in previous years. But, Owen, what did you think of the Wisconsin offensive line in, in 2019? And, and maybe what was their you know biggest overall strength of that group? Yeah, so I think it's really important to be able to extrapolate, like, one group from another, right? Because I think – I remember – when so like when I first started covering the Badgers for Bucky's was like 2015. It was Chris's first year, uh, and the offensive line was just not in very good shape. Um, and anyone that watched Wisconsin knew that. But yet, like every single week, you'd get the typical, "Yep, another good running back behind that big, strong, good offensive line," and like they're not good. You know what I mean? Like so that that narrative is is obviously in place for a reason. But like being able to differentiate those guys out of that is important. And that's where something like with this group. Uh, you know, because like with the numbers, like obviously Jonathan Taylor ran for a jillion yards and they had a good season. They didn't give up a ton of sacks. Um, but it, I would say this is like in the middle of the pack, probably um, for some of like the I guess the five years that Chris has been there, um, probably in that third or fourth range uh, as far as how good the line actually was. Um, obviously, like I said, they had a good year. Like I'm not trying to diminish anything like that, but it's um less talented probably than they've been in the past. Uh, obviously they lost three dudes to the NFL, which is going to happen. Um, they're not probably not be as talented, but uh, just kind of lacked like the high end talent that they've had in the past. And I think that they were a good unit and they were solid, but they were a bit limited athletically. And I think that um, we'll talk about here in a little bit with some of the other guys. I think that's something that may change uh, a little bit moving forward, but so I think, like, obviously running the ball, they did well. And like I said, I think they gave up 20 sacks, I believe, 20 or 21 sacks. Don't quote me on that, but I did look it up a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it was it was a solid um, pass, pass protection unit. Uh, but, I mean, obviously running the ball is always going to be their, their biggest strength in, in what they want to do. Um, and I think they did a good job of that. But, again, the um, like the lack of athleticism um, – limits that a little bit and I guess like I don't mean to like call him out but someone like Jason Erdman right so he's a fifth year senior he's a former walk-on he's done a great job for what they ask him to do uh, he's played center and guard for them in the past he's their biggest dude he might be their strongest guy up front but he's not um, like to go from uh, Michael Dieter to, to Jason Erdman's a, a significant downgrade right and like I said I, I don't mean that to 
to be a detriment to Jason Erdman, but just simply put, like someone like that going from an athlete like Dieter uh, in his skill level to to someone like Erdman caps that. So like as a group, they were fine, they were good, but like that's kind of more what I'm getting at, I guess. Like just it was a a little lesser unit. Like I don't know if Jason Erdman would start on most of the Badger lines uh, in the in the recent memory, maybe other than 2015, uh, but he. I don't know. I mean, like someone like that, like it's a good program guy, but I guess to me that was more what I noticed was like it was a good unit. Van Lannan and, and Biotis were really good. Logan Bross was good, um, you know, but like just as a whole, there were just some things like they just weren't outstanding uh, as a, as a their this is really bad audio for you guys. Uh, I think the biggest thing is like the sum of their parts was probably uh, greater than what their um, or I take that back. The, the 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 unit itself was better than the the individual pieces put into it, and I think that like moving forward, I think that's going to change with the quality of recruit that they're bringing in. Um, but so it was a good year. It was a, it was a solid unit, but I think probably a little lower end on the talent spectrum and on the athleticism spectrum than where um, probably fans are accustomed to seeing them, and then where they will be, I think, in the next couple of years with the type of kids they're bringing in. Yeah, and I mean, I, I I totally agree with you, and I I think it's okay if you call out specific players. Don't don't feel bad. Um, you know, I mean, I think they are understanding of where they are in the grand sphere as well. Um, after playing behind a really talented player like Michael Dieter, um, IMO, but um, you know, I would think um, Mormon was another guy who was in a similar boat where you know you, you see a fifth year senior who's kind of thrown in there. Um, what do you think is, this team needs to do? Um or what areas I should say, do you think this team needs to improve upon the most from 2019 to 2020? So like I said, the, the first thing I think is just, it's going to be athleticism. I think they need to get better. I think someone like, um, someone like Erdman, who I guess is just, is a little bit physically limited. Uh, you know, he, he played for three years um, in a lot of different spots and, and was able to bail Wisconsin out. He was a good program guy, but he's just not the most gifted athlete that Wisconsin has had at those spots or that will, they will continue to put at those spots. So uh, that like, and to me, um, their issues in pass protection are very rarely scheme. It's, it's just like, and you see it when they play Ohio state and it's, you know, Jason Erdman against Robert Landers. That's not good. You know, <laughs> um, a couple of years ago, even like Bo Benchall's in the NFL, like, so this isn't a knock on him, but like Bo Benchall versus Maurice Hurst from Michigan. Like that's, it's an athleticism thing. It's, uh, they're they're going to have less um, they're going to be less athletic than than the D linemen they're facing most of the time. But like the more you can be athletic, like the more you give yourself a chance. Uh, and that's something like where um, you know Erdman's just never going to be the better athlete in those matchups. Um, like Mormon's the same thing. Uh, so I mean it's that's more like to me like I think they were fine with technique. I think they were like a good group. Technically, they didn't have many like huge busts. It's just like the physical floor was lower for this group um, than it will be in, in the future. And I think that's kind of the answer to um, the question in a really roundabout way is I think that they're just going to keep getting more talented guys. And that's where they're really going to to improve, because um, I think like they got the most out of what they were. But th that was obviously what that cap was at. So I think um, just moving forward, you'll see more. I think they'll be able to be a bit more diverse in their run schemes, having more athletic guys to pull. Obviously they want to pull everybody all the time. Um, and someone like Jason Erdman, uh, compared to, for instance, if some of these guys are going to end up having to play inside at some point, but like Joe Tittman, like Joe Tittman and like is a vastly superior athlete at that size than, than Jason Erdman is. So like if you get someone 
and we'll talk about him in a second. And he, I don't think he's going to play guard, but the just like that as a as a comparison, right? Like just like having higher profile athletes out along the offensive line um, is going to be the improvement moving forward. Is it's just going to have like a, phys, a like a way higher physical ability ceiling than what this group had. So Owen, getting into both this group that that was there this past year and and, and the group for 2020. Was there any player on the offensive line group that really stood out to you, but also that maybe you're excited to see develop uh, that as you head into 2020 and see where they were from, you know, maybe this time last year into next season? Yeah, so I think the two, um, I guess the low-hanging fruit are like Caden Lyles and, and Josh Seltzner. Um, they uh, got bits and pieces of time this year, obviously with, with Mormon and Erdman kind of bouncing back and forth. Uh, and, you know, I think they all started like three to four games, um, you know, at a time, I think those are two guys that Lyles obviously is a former four-star recruit. Um, I'm curious to see whether they keep him at guard or they move him back to center, uh, which is another thing we'll touch on here in a little bit. But then um, Seltzer as well has gotten a lot of uh, rave reviews from the coaching staff. Um, another former walk-on, but is a bit more physically gifted. Um, than someone like Mormon or Erdman and just like a, a, a great, big, strong dude. Um, so I think like those two. And then we're starting to get – so like this last two to three years, they've really been bringing in a lot of talented kids in recruiting along the offensive line. And the benefit of having the depth that Wisconsin has now is that those guys continue – they just get to sit and just continue to get bigger and stronger um, while they wait their turn. And I think that's something like – Obviously, Logan Brown is is the big the big premier name, right? Like he's the five star dude, and he, he looks the party six seven and three fifteen, and um, you know hasn't taken a snap yet for uh, for the Badgers. But I think between those three guys, I think that's the the biggest opportunity. But then like even like you like I bring up Logan Brown, but he might not even be the next tackle in line with Van Landen and, and Logan Bruss coming back, right? So then they have Tyler Beach uh, as well, who's been good in his spot duty, and that also then begs the question. Does someone get moved if three of your top five offensive linemen are tackles? And that's something that Joe Rudolph has been uh, kind of he's, he's leaned on in the past is we need to find a way to get our best five guys on the field. That's why they had Michael Dieter play left tackle in 2017 uh, to get room um, for Biotish at center. Right. So, I mean, like, it's just that there's a lot of uh, a lot of speculation, I suppose, to happen between now and in fall camp. But that's something where um seeing where those those pieces all fit together is going to be really interesting because I think that all three of those or even four that we've mentioned um, could have a role or should have a role, but it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and, and how they're able to um, manipulate those pieces to fit them where they want. Um, one player that you kind of talk, touched on was Logan Bruss, um, and you touched on the idea of possibly moving guys around. Um, there's been some chatter about him possibly sliding in to right guard because he's done that in the past, and he has he has a little bit of a higher athletic profile, kind of similar to what you were saying. But um, how do you th think he would move in terms of the guard position uh, in your eyes? So <clears> – <throat> When I when they first recruited him, that's what I expected him to, to play, um, and he ended up being a tackle, and he's done a good job there. He's a good athlete. I think what we just touched on for a second is like that athleticism and being able to pull. I think that's something that's like right up his uh, right up his alley. Is that if you put him at guard, then all of a sudden you get this impressive big athlete that can move in space, and that is um, 
an enticing proposition for me. Like with, so when you keep banging on, but like, just like some of the physical limitations they had this year, like when they played Oregon, I was like, dude, three of these guys are different than the other two. And that's not a knock on those guys, but like just simply put being more talented and having that ability in there. I think he's going to be a really effective puller. Uh, He's really physical. So I don't think that'll be a concern anyways, but just like having that, having the versatility, I know they like to cross train guys at times too, but just having that, that tackle knowledge and being able to move in at guard is going to help the entire unit if they choose to do that. Um, and then, yeah, he's, I think he's very physically capable of doing it. I think that he's a <clears throat> still a young enough kid that you'd be able to do that. And it's not going to be a huge, uh, it's like you're keeping his stance the same by keeping him on the same side. And it's just kind of um, having him to, or like having to get used to, the different style of pass rush that you get inside than you do outside. But I think that he would be um, a good candidate for that. And I think that's something that he could be uh, pretty good at. And then, like I said, to get the the best five on the field, um, Wisconsin, I know they have uh, Joe Rudolph has not been afraid to rotate linemen in the past. Uh, I would be curious to see if they do that now or not, but I think that's also something to keep, uh, keep in mind as well. Um, how they want to, like I said, kind of manipulate to get their guys on the field. Well, and recruiting-wise, you know, we've already talked about it a little bit, but obviously the the headlines of this 2020 class were, you know, Trey Wedig and, and Jack Nelson, those offensive line pieces. How much have you seen of of maybe stuff on those guys, and and what do you think of these new faces that'll be joining that offensive line group? Yeah, so. Um, obviously the, the Nelson and, um, Wedding are the two headliners. I think Nelson is like the big time. Um, I'm really excited for him, obviously with the, for what it's worth with the 24 seven bump, he either is about to get or has gotten. Um, but he's like, just to me that, that higher athletic ceiling, um, you saw that a little bit in some of the, the clips from practice at the all American game. And then even watching him play a little bit there, he's just, he's more fluid in his movements than Wedding is. I think that he's, um, a guy that can play both guard and and tackle, but with having as long arms as he does, I think they were like 33 and, a half and three quarters or something along those lines. Um, I like sometimes it can be disadvantageous to have really long arms inside because of how quick things happen. Um, but I, I do think he's the guy that like is your prototypical left tackle, uh, blindside protector, really athletic, nasty in the run game long kind of body beautiful I think that he's in that vein um more so with Wedig to me and obviously he's 17 years old like I'm not um trying to cap him or what he's gonna be able to do but to me like he's more of a a uh, guard probably in the future either that or he's he's a right tackle and you kind of treat him like you did with Rob Havenstein like he's a little bit limited um from a movement standpoint but he's just so big and physical um because like the thing is and I actually talked about this with Jake uh, Kokorowski probably around the same time last year uh, as we got talked about the offensive line. I was like, the thing is, so like they bring in Brown and Tittman and now Nelson and Wedding. And now in 2021, they've got Riley Malman and J.P. Benshaw. Like they're all listed at tackle, right? Like if you're going to have eventually you're going to try and get five dudes on the field. And if you have six really good tackles, like someone's going to have to move. So I, I don't know. Um, that'll be really interesting to see. I know from what I understand, they've moved Tittman to center. Uh, but like, that's, that's the thing to me is like, what's going to be really interesting is how they start to place these guys and where they end up. And then you can kind of 
piece together what their role is or what they're going to be asked to do based off of that. Um, I was actually fortunate enough to coach against Ben Barton uh, when he was a junior um, in basketball, and I was really impressed with him. He's uh, there's it's not like sloppy weight. He was probably 270 or so when we played him, and uh, moves really well, moves really effortlessly. He's not like super twitchy or explosive, um, but he's a really big dude, and he he, he doesn't labor to move, which is good. And um, you could just kind of tell like a lot of his weight was like he had a big butt and like big wide hips. Like you could tell he was going to be able to stack weight on. Um, he had the, the frame to grow. So I think that's enticing. I am still curious to see if he ends up being moved to defensive line or not as well. Um, and then I, I don't know as much about Bordellini or Dylan Barrett uh, as, for, as far as I know, they're both going to play inside, but outside of like highlight tapes, I haven't had much experience with, with those guys or seen them or, or have much of a, a take beyond that. Um, other than I think Bordellini looks pretty athletic. He might end up being a guard um, because of that, that pulling ability, but um, it'll be interesting to see. I think it's really fascinating when you bring in big groups of offensive linemen like this um, because everyone can kind of be like pigeonholed into a role early, which I think can be beneficial um, rather than like, for instance, Tyler Beach, right? Like for the last two years, like, well, you might play left and you might play right and you might rotate. Um, you know, like where someone like you can get for it's like Dylan Barrett, if they play him at center, like, look, you're just going to learn center for the next five years. <clears throat> so then I think that's um, when you bring in these bigger classes like that, I think that can be beneficial that way for the kids to be able to, um, you know, just get a little bit more comfortable in their role and then kind of be able to um, develop based off of that. All right, kind of flip, flipping the script from way out in the future to kind of the near future of this fall. Um, you know, if if you had to look into the crystal ball, who do you think are going to be the the starting five, and and kind of who are who are the, going to be those swing guys behind them that can that can help out? So this became quite a bit easier when um, Van Landen came back, right? So I think he'll be the left tackle. And I think Logan Bruss, <clears throat> at least as of right now, will be the right tackle. Um, there's obviously things are prone to being moved. Um, I think you leave them where they're at. Then inside, you've got uh, Caden Lyles. I think he'll probably get the start at center, I would imagine. Um, just from a, a standpoint of, of he's done it before, and I don't know how comfortable they are with Joe Tittman yet. Um, moving to center is not an easy thing to do. Uh, especially if you haven't done it before and, and all of the <clears throat> responsibility that they end, that Wisconsin puts on their center as far as making calls and being able to identify different defensive fronts and then like also snapping the ball and making sure the ball gets there and then blocking the guy in front of you that's trying to rip your quarterback's face off. Um, so to me, I think Lyles is the easy thing there. And then Seltzner is the, um, I would imagine they'll probably keep him on the right side. Um, and then that left guard spot, that's where it'll be interesting. Cause like, this is where we, <clears throat> we talk about, I think Logan Bruss could be moved there. Well, either left or right, um, depending on where they play Seltzner or, or Lyles. I think that's, um, the interesting thing. Actually, I'm going to change my answer because the more I'm talking to myself into this. So it's going to be Van Lannan, Seltzner, Lyles, Bruss, and then Tyler Beach, I think from left to right. Uh, and then from that point, then like I said, Logan Brown's your swing guy. Um, you have Joe Tippman to play uh, the backup center or either guard spot. And then, so actually guard is surprisingly lean. 
uh, with where they're at um, from what I can tell. So, like, the next guy up would be Michael Fertney, uh, who would be a redshirt sophomore from the state of Michigan. Uh, and and um, Alex Fenton is the other guard that's on the roster currently. But um, so I think it, and as much as I like just basically spent 15 minutes bashing uh, Jason Erdman and <clears throat> David Mormon, those were two really um, experienced and really valuable swing guys inside and even Mormon playing tackle a bit at times. Um, so that'll be for all of the depth that's accumulated um, they haven't had like a lot of kids have the opportunity to learn new spots or like have to play out of position in games and get those reps. So that'll be <clears throat> interesting and a good opportunity for those kids as well. Um, like I said, like someone like Joe Titman moved from tackle to redshirted and moved from tackle to center. And he might be your top reserve, um, depending on how things uh, kind of shape out in the spring with like he or Fertney or Seltzer or whoever ends up getting that job or if they play Lyles at center. So there's kind of a lot of moving pieces, um, including the right tackle potentially. So it's, it's kind of really interesting. Um, Van Landen is really the only like for sure we know where he's going to play and we know what he's going to do. Um, so kind of a, a, an unfamiliar spot for UW uh, after the last few years of really having like, obviously Dieter and Benchall were like three and four year starters and Dave Edwards and John Dietzen all played a lot of football. Um, and then Biotish obviously being a three-year starter as well. So a lot of, it'll be a young room and it'll be a lot of new fresh faces and maybe not even in the same positions that they were um, just last year. But I think those are your, probably your top five most talented linemen. Um, and I think that that's probably um, where they'll start at. So yeah, I guess to, to long story short, uh, I think Van Lannan, um, Seltzner, Lyles, Bruss, and then Beach, um, but like I said, it'll be, I think it's going to be really tough to keep Logan Brown off the field and depending on what they do at center, um, might be really hard to keep Titman or Lyles off the field as well. So I think that's where probably the, the potential for some rotation might be there. There you have it, folks. We gave you a good, uh, in and out preview of the Wisconsin offensive line room. Obviously a lot of moving parts in that group, but exciting stuff. And obviously some great insight from Owen here as we wrap up another episode of Bucky's fifth podcast. Owen, thanks again for joining the show. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. You're welcome on any time. We'll make sure to have you back on. Uh, we'll talk some NFL draft stuff as that gets closer. But uh, that wraps up another week of the Bucky's fifth podcast. We'll be back with you guys, of course, next week. And we'll get into some other stuff, recap some basketball again, and then get into some more position groups as we go. So make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you guys for listening on Wisconsin.